I was talking with a family this week in our church who recently uh, moved just a few days ago, and so I was reminiscing a little bit, and I realized that uh, my family, we have moved three times in the last four years, and um, that's what happens when you have a kid every year. You just have to keep moving to a house with another bedroom. And when I think about moving and all that comes with that, it's kind of a, a new experience. It's kind of a new reality when you step into a new home because when you were comfortable with where you were living, you kind of know where everything is in the house. Everything has its place. You know where to find things. Uh, perhaps even in the middle of the night, you can wake up and you can find your way around even with no lights on. And so we get used to a certain way and a certain structure and certain things belong in certain cabinets and we know where everything goes. We operate by a certain system and a certain structure within that home, but it's completely disrupted when we move into a new house. In fact, so much so that sometimes we're looking for something only to find it in a box uh, that's been there for the last two years that has never been unpacked from the last move. And we have all of these uh, structures and systems in place. And in one, one moment, in one day, we can move from one system, one place of living, one reality into another reality. And so this summer, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and we're calling it the Summer on the Mount because all summer long, this is what we've been discussing. And um, our, pastor, our senior pastor, Mark, is out of town, but he began uh, this series, and, and it began with uh, Jesus— uh, launching his ministry. This was the first sermon that Jesus gave. And so he begins to uh, do just what I was talking about when we move from one house to another. He began to disrupt the systems of this world. The way in which people thought this was the right way to live and this is how we do things and this is how it works, he completely came and disrupted that. Many people knew him as a healer. Maybe they were healed by them. They had or healed by Jesus. Others had heard of this man who was going and he was healing people and doing miraculous things. Uh, but some people knew him uh, maybe as the, the peacemaker or some people knew him as the, the one who was told about who would be our savior. But for many people, when Jesus came, he was known as a disruptor because the way in which they lived their lives was completely different from the way that Jesus came to establish that we should live our lives. There was a, a whole new system, a whole new reality that took us from where we were as the human race, as we were as humanity, and he introduced and he created a new system, a new reality, a new way of doing things. And so as we began this sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus introduces these new ideas or these new attitudes, and we call these Beatitudes. And you can go back in the uh, podcast and you can uh, listen to that message where we talked through those. But these were new ideas that he introduced that were disrupting the culture. They were disrupting the way that people uh, thought, the way that they interacted with one another, their mindset. And so he, the Beatitudes became this disruptive, this disruptive teaching that changed the game for those who were listening, that changed the way 
people were thinking, that changed the way people were living and operating. From the Beatitudes and all these new ways, he went to the fulfillment of the law. And so he wasn't just, uh, he was an equal opportunity disruptor. It wasn't just those who were not religious. It wasn't just those who uh, did not know God or were not trying to seek him and follow his ways. He was also disrupting the religious culture of the time. He was disrupting the way that the uh, religious people called the Pharisees of the time, and these were the professional, these were the professional ones who were operating in a system that said, here's how we do things if we're going to be right with God. Here's how we do things if we're going to live life in a way that God says is pleasing. And he came to completely disrupt that because what he said was, if you want to fulfill the law, then you're going to have to be better and live better and do the law better than all of the Pharisees. If you really want to be known as righteous, then you're going to have to do it better than they do. And so everyone would have been so confused at this. I don't understand. I mean, they're the best at it. But he's saying, no, I'm introducing a brand new way of doing things. He moves on and he talks about murder. And he says, you've heard it said, if you take someone else's life, that's a bad thing. Don't do that. But I'm telling you that even if you have hate in your heart, if you have those feelings of hatred toward someone else, then you've already committed murder. Uh, You've heard it said about adultery, don't cheat on your spouse. But I tell you, if you have a lustful thought and intent in your heart after someone else that's not your spouse, then you've already committed adultery. On the matter of divorce, he said, you've heard it said even by Moses, the one who carried and brought the law of God God to humanity at one time, you've heard it said by him, just give, give your spouse a certificate of divorce and you can be free from that. But I tell you that you are with this person for life. You are connected with them for life and there is no leaving them. You've heard it said to keep your oaths, but to to make an oath and you swear by all of these different things. I swear to fill in the blank as a way to kind of say, I'm really telling the truth here. I'm really going to do this here. And I tell you, don't swear by anything, but just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let the purity and the intent and the motives of your heart be so under control and so steady and so truthful that you don't have to swear by anything. Uh, Your yes can be yes and your no can be no. And when you say yes, you mean yes. And when you say no, you mean no. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. If someone does something to you, then you give it right back to him. But I'm telling you that if someone hits you on one side, you give them the other side to hit. If someone takes one thing from you, then you give them two things back. He was completely disrupting the way in which the world operated, not just the world in secular terms, but also the religious world. And so everyone, when Jesus came, was completely flabbergasted. We're completely taken back. Who is this man? What is he teaching? What is he introducing? I've never heard anything like this before. In fact, some of them said at the very end of the Sermon on Mount of the Mount, who is this man? He, he teaches as if he has an authority that not even the Pharisees have, that not even the religious people have. He teaches this as if it's actually the truth, as if there's actually no other way that is right and that can be found right in the eyes of God. Who is this man that he has such authority that he can come and he can disrupt and he can turn our system completely upside down and now tell us to do it a different way? 
what he was trying to get out, get at through the whole Sermon on the Mount. And the point that he keeps driving home is it's about the internal you. It's about what's going on on the inside. And to that point, everything had been reduced to trying to fix our internal needs by external means. We were trying to find ways on the outside that we could fix what was happening on the inside. We didn't understand what was going on. We didn't understand how to process what we were feeling. We did not understand how to keep ourselves away from things that would become destructive. And so we implement another law and we implement another rule and we implement another way of doing things. And he says, I want to change the game. It's not about all of that stuff, I want to change you from the inside out. And so the Sermon on the Mount becomes about Jesus speaking to the very heart, the very inner core of who we are as human beings, because everything had become about solving our internal issues, our internal needs by external means, and it was not working. And so they found themselves at the very end saying, man, who Who is this man that he can teach with such authority? Who is this man that he can speak with such truth? Because he was establishing an entirely new way of doing things. And so as he was disrupting and he was introducing these new ideas and he was saying, I want to get at your heart. I want to get at your internal motivations. I want to get at the place of you where your deepest desires reside, where your deepest passions and longings reside. I want to get in that place. And so I must teach you now how to pray. And so this morning we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. I must teach you how to pray. And we spent some great time this morning waiting anxiously for Brandon to find his wonderful prayer. And make no mistake about it, prayer absolutely happens in moments like that. I believe that Brandon poured his heart and soul into writing that, which is why they wanted to find it, because that came from the deepest place in his heart. And it was a moment of prayer. But prayer is not just what happens in a moment like that. In fact, prayer all throughout Scripture, and if you go and do a a word study on prayer, it's actually referring to more of the attitude and the intent of our life to follow in the ways of God. It's more of of an action than it is one single act. It's more of an, an attitude of our life and more of an attitude of how we approach God than it is just a single moment. And so prayer, uh, as I was looking through all the different ways and all the different, the root words of what it meant when they were saying to pray over and over again in the New Testament, yes, it was moments, but it wasn't only moments. It was also about living our lives in a way that identified, that aligned ourselves with God. And so prayer is thinking and living in alignment with God, not only in a moment, but in life. It's right thinking and it's right living in alignment with God. This is why the Bible can say, and we've heard this verse, if you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard it or maybe you've seen it uh, on a card somewhere, but we've heard this statement, pray without ceasing. This is the reason that we can pray without ceasing. It's not go into your prayer closet and get down on your knees and pray all day long because you're supposed to pray without stopping. It's no, we can live in an attitude where we're consistently 
and regularly and over and over and over again with the intent and motivation and desires of our heart, we're aligning ourselves with the ways and the plans of God. Not just in moments, yes in moments, but not only in moments. It's in moments and in life. And so he's saying, I want to teach you how to pray because if you don't learn how to to align yourself with my ways, if you don't learn how to live this out in moments and in life, then you'll never be able to experience what I'm really trying to do in changing your heart. You'll never be able to experience moving from one system, one way of doing things, one reality into this other reality that I came to establish. You'll never be able to experience that. So I'm teaching you how to align yourself. And what we call that is prayer. Prayer is not about us moving God. It's about God moving us. It's about getting us to a place where we align and we identify with what he has already established, what he already wants. But in our culture, we often approach prayer as, God, will you please fix this? God, will you please help this? God, why didn't you fix this? Why didn't you prevent this? I don't understand why this happened. And we continually go to him with our needs and our desires and our wants. And we we sometimes even do it forcefully as if we're trying to convince God that our way was the right way. And prayer becomes all about us. And prayer comes all about us trying to manipulate God into what we think he should do. But prayer is about aligning ourselves with him. And this prayer piece, not just the moments, but the lifestyle, the way of living, is so important because he wants to get at our hearts. He wants to take us from one reality into the reality that he has, and prayer is the way to get there. And so he says, I want you to learn how to pray. Not just, I want to teach you the words to pray. In fact, it wasn't even that at all. It wasn't, here's the words that I want you to say when you pray. It's, I want to show you how to pray. This is how you do it. This is the the overarching broad principles. This This is the way in which you kind of approach this way of living and living in a life full of prayer, that you pray without ceasing, that you come to me in moments and in the midst of your life. This is how I want you to approach this, and I want you to do it because I want you to know me, and I want you to know my ways. I want to teach you how to pray because I want you to know me. I want you to know who I am, and I want you to know my ways. And when we know him and we know his ways, we begin to make the journey from the reality of our culture, the reality of how grandma did it, the reality of how the home did it that we grew up in, the reality in which everyone else says it's the right way to go, and this is how we should do it, and this is how we should fix it. I want to take you from here to there. I want to take you from where you are in this kingdom, in this reality, and I want to offer to you a brand new way of doing this that has never existed. Yes, it will be uncomfortable. Yes, it's absolutely disruptive to every single way of living that we've currently experienced, but it is a new way of doing things that actually works, that actually give us the results of, the li- of our lives that we wanted in the first place, that he wanted in the first place for us. And so we align ourselves with him and his heart when we pray. And so he says, I want to teach you how to do this. I want to teach you how so that you can know me and so you can know my ways. And so he says, here's how I want you to pray. I want you to pray like this. Our Father, 
in heaven. May your name be kept holy. Now, two weeks ago, Pastor Mark preached on just that one scripture right there. I invite you to go back to the podcast and listen to that. But basically what he's saying here is when you pray to me, know that I am holy. I am set apart. I am different. I am not like anyone else that you talk to in your day. I am not like any other God. I am not like any other thing that you serve in your life. I am holy. I am set apart. I am different. And no matter how good your father was, no matter how bad your earthly father was, I am a father that's like no other father. I am the perfect representation of the perfect father. I am him. I am father. And by the way, I'm in heaven. So what that means is that he exists in a reality that is outside of the reality, time, and space in which we live. And it's just a helpful reminder. Like, by the way, pray to your father who's in heaven, who's not here, who doesn't operate, and who is not bound to the, six, to the systems and the structures and the ways of doing things that we often think are right. It's why Proverbs says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction, it leads to devastation, it leads to being empty and devalued and insecure, it leads to all kinds of awful things in life, but his ways are higher than our ways. You know why? Because he's in heaven. So when we approach prayer, it's a pretty good thing to remember, oh yeah, He's in heaven and I'm not. He's in a reality that I am not in. So when you come to me, I want you to pray like this. I want you to acknowledge who I am because after all, I'm teaching you to pray so that you can know me and know my ways. And who I am is a holy father who resides in heaven. And this second part is the part we want to focus in on today. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. And so we have this know me part. Know me as father, as holy, as the one who is in heaven. And then we have the teach me your way part. It's his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So what is kingdom? Kingdom is the dominion, the rule, or authority. It's the dominion or the right to the authority of rule in our lives. The kingdom is not so much about territories and boundaries, which is how we understand them. And in fact, the people of those times would have been thinking in terms of kingdoms that represented borders and boundaries and they war and they wrestle against one another for more territory, for more freedom from each other. And many of the people who thought that, uh, who were expecting the Messiah, who were expecting the Savior, they thought what he was going to do was overthrow the existing government the actual earthly existing government that existed, the way that they were ruled, and they, he was going to overthrow that, and he was going to come, and he was going to set up his kingdom here. But the kingdom was not about territories and boundaries. The kingdom is the realm in which God's will is fulfilled. 
The kingdom is so much bigger than what we can see in front of us. The kingdom is where his will and his desires are fulfilled. And he's saying, when you pray, I want you to know who you're praying to, but I want you to pray for my ways. I want you to pray that my kingdom, or in other words, that my realm of fulfilling my will would happen on the earth as it already is in heaven. It's established that there is one reality that we see. There's one reality that we often exist in and live in. It's the reality and the kingdom of this culture. It's the kingdom of this world. It's the kingdom of the ways that we thought things were supposed to be. And throughout all humanity from the beginning of the time when sin entered the world, we were operating in a system that tried to use external means to solve internal issues. We were trying to fix ourselves. We were trying to make it better on our own. And he's saying, I'm introducing now to you for the very first time, just like at a wedding. It's the very last thing that I get to say. And I see Tyler over here. He's getting married. Some of you guys know uh, Tyler. He's getting married. The very last thing that I'm going to say when I do his wedding is is I now present for the very first time Mr. and Mrs. Tyler Hodge. And it's like for the very first time, you've not been able to figure this out. You've, you've been on your own, but now for the very first time, I'm introducing to you a way for my kingdom to reside on earth. And so I'm going to send my son from heaven. I'm going to establish my kingdom that already is and exists in heaven. And I'm going to bring it where you can experience some of those heavenly realities on earth. And it's going to come through my son, Jesus Christ. So Matthew chapter 11 says, And from the beginning, or from the time that John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. Well, where is John the Baptist? He's on earth. And so he's saying the kingdom of God is coming from heaven to earth. So since the time that John, ba- John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus, John was the prophet who was proclaiming that there is a Messiah coming. He was telling people all around, he's going to come, he's coming soon, the Messiah is coming. We're finally going to have an answer for this existing reality that's broken and messed up and we, we can't figure it out and things only get worse instead of getting better. He was preparing the way for this new message of the coming Messiah. And since that time, the heaven, the kingdom of heaven was advancing on the earth. And he says that all the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. In other words, everything that every prophet has ever brought to this earth, all of the laws that we've tried to come up with, everything that was existing to this point, they were longing and they were yearning. They were looking forward to this time, to this moment when Jesus would come from heaven to earth to establish his kingdom that was not of this world. But when Jesus talked about the kingdom, he often started it like this. In Matthew chapter 2, he says, repent. Repent and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. Repent means to turn away. In order to turn to God, we have to turn away from something else. 
In other words, I, I know that this is how you thought it was supposed to be done. I knew that this was how you make decisions. I knew this was how you interacted with other people and try to navigate relationships and conflict. And I knew that this was how you handled this in the past, but I want you to turn from that system, to turn from that way of doing things. And I want you to turn the other way because the kingdom is near. I want you to walk away from the kingdom that you knew, the kingdom that is familiar, the kingdom that is that is comfortable and turn away from that and turn toward a new kingdom because I am here to establish something new. So he begins to preach this and proclaim this message and repent for the kingdom of God is near. And so one of the religious men of the day, his name was Nicodemus, and he was one of the Pharisees. He was one of the ones who knew the most about the law. He knew the most about, about how to make yourself right with God. And he, he knew them all. He taught them all. He was one of the Pharisees. And yet he snuck away in the middle of the night, away from his buddies, away from the other Pharisees to have a conversation with Jesus because he said, this is different you're, you're disrupting our system here. You're, you're changing the game here. I don't know what you're doing and I have to get some clarity on this. So he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I, just, can you just give me the bottom line here? Can you tell me what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? In John 3, Jesus replied, he says, I tell you the truth, unless, unless you can be born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. In other words, repent and turn toward God. And when you do that, it's almost as if you died to one way of living, to one system of operating inside of this context of one reality. You died to that and now you were born into a different system called the kingdom of God. Of God. It's as if you were to go back, and this is, what, this is what Nicodemus was so confused about, because he says to Jesus, dude, I thought what you said was crazy before, but he literally says, how could a man, once he has grown, go back into his mother's womb? He doesn't get it, because he's still trying to solve an internal issue through external means. You mean, he, you can go back into a woman's body and be born again? I don't understand this, Jesus. You're, you're crazier than I thought. I'm sure glad I came here in the middle of the night in the dark away from everybody else. No, it's as if your life was in one reality and it was completely reborn, completely different, completely made new as if you were born into a completely new reality. When we are born into the kingdom of God, when we live and operate and live inside the kingdom of God, which is the realm in which his will is fulfilled in our lives, it's him working in us and him working through us. That's the kingdom of God. In fact, it says that he came here to establish his kingdom and his kingdom is actually the church. So now, not only do we experience the kingdom, but we are the kingdom and the church are the carriers of the kingdom of God. And can I just break right here for a minute and say that the kingdom of the Republicans and the kingdom of the Democrats and the kingdom of the conservatives or the liberals will never fix shootings in Dayton, Ohio. But the kingdom of God forcefully advancing in the hearts and changing the hearts of people, that's what will save us. That's what will redeem us. We will never fix the issues that we have by external means. Laws will never do it. 
Changing the way we do things, it will never do it. But when the heart of a man is changed, he can become redeemed and he can operate in one reality in one moment and he can be completely reborn and operate in a new reality in the next. That's salvation. That's the redemptive work of Christ. That's doing things in a different way because of his freedom and the redemption and salvation that he brings. And when we live in this kingdom, it changes, it changes where we receive our power. Where, where are we sourced? Who or what is sourcing us? Where do we get our power for living? Where do we find our significance and our value? Oftentimes we find it in our bank account and it gives us lots of security and it gives us lots of of value at times. It gives us lots of self-worth. Sometimes we find it in what other people think about us. And as long as we look good on the outside, as long as no one knows about our secret sin, as long as no one knows how I treat my spouse behind closed doors, as, no one, as long as no one knows the real motives and intents and thoughts that flood my mind, as long as I can represent and present myself in a certain way, in a certain light, so that other people think, well, then I'll be okay and I can go on another day. But in a moment, our money can be gone. Our relationships can be gone. The value that we receive from other people thinking that we're good enough, from other people giving us the the affirmation that we think we need, in that moment, it can all be gone and crushed and burned to the ground. And what are we left with? It changes our power source. So as he continues in this Lord's Prayer again, how to pray, not specifically what to pray, he says, give us the food we need today. Or maybe some would have heard it, give us today our daily bread. In other words, he and he alone has everything that we need to live. He and he alone has everything that we need. And I know that he's not talking about food here because he just follows this up a few verses later by saying, hey, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat and don't worry about what you're going to drink and don't worry about what you're going to wear and don't worry about where you're going to go next. So 6.33 of Matthew, just a few verses later, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and all of these other things it's going to be all right. It's going to work out. It's okay. So he's not saying, I want you to pray for your daily bread. He's saying, I am your source for life. I am your source for living. I am all that you need. I'm it. And so when you come to me with prayer, know that I'm your father and know that you're praying that my kingdom and my will be done on the earth and know that I have everything that you need. I've got it all. John 16, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. And so Jesus, he did not even fear death itself. In fact, his death on this earth was actually the greatest play and the greatest plan in this game to bring salvation and redemption and a new kingdom. Even death had no sting. Even death had nothing to bring against him. Even death could not set itself up against the kingdom of God that he was establishing. So even when, 
our health deteriorates, even when we get bad news from the doctor, even when things break down in this relationship, even when things are not going well financially, even when the company I work for is going under, even when, fill in the blank, I'm still a part of a kingdom that's greater than this world. I'm still a part of a kingdom than what this world has to offer me. I'm still part of a kingdom that does not exist in the reality of what I see in front of me, but I'm in part of a kingdom that brings redemption and wholeness and satisfaction and healing and comfort beyond anything that I could ever experience in the reality of the kingdom of this world because I have been transferred into the kingdom of God. And when I pray, I can pray, your kingdom come in the middle of this situation. And in that moment, we experience the peace that, become, that, that goes beyond all things that we can understand. And so not only do we receive our power from a different source, but we then receive peace. We receive peace. But peace, this is, this is interesting because most of our, our times where we're not living in peace has something to do with either us not being right with God or not being right with somebody else. And so we walk around with a heavy conscience. We walk around hoping no one will find out we walk around like a load of bricks or on our shoulders. We do what Adam and Eve did when they turned from God and they went and hid and they covered themselves. They experienced the anxiety of that. Not being right with God. Or we have this conflict going on with people in our lives and and we know that we shouldn't have treated that person that way, but we did. And now our pride won't let us go and apologize to them and make it right. We have these moments where we just can't seem to manage the tension of these relationships in our lives. But he moves on from saying, give us everything that we need, our daily bread. And I want you to pray like this. Forgive us as we forgive others. Allow us to experience perfect peace and living, living in harmony with God and with each other. And it's why Jesus could later summarize the entire law. Everything that Moses and the prophets, they were looking for. When the kingdom came, it came and he established a new law. And it was just love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then go and love one another. Be right with me and be right with each other. When you live in this kingdom, you'll experience peace. Because you can live in peace and harmony with God and with each other. That's the kingdom. That does not look like the kingdom of this world. It looks nothing like the kingdom of this world, but it does look like the kingdom that he came to establish. Live in peace with God and with one another. Matthew 13 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man who was searching for treasure, and he finally found it. His he was so excited, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get it. This peace, we're, we're so anxious. We're so longing for something to complete us, to fulfill us. And when we finally find it, we experience this peace because we have finally found the answer. It's living in this kingdom of God, this way of living that he has established for us. And it is a good thing so much so that this kingdom is like a man who finds a great treasure. It did not come in the things of this world. It did not come through another relationship. It did not come through another high. It did not come from escaping my, my reality, but it came through living in a brand new reality that I love. And we can live in peace 
and harmony with God. It changes when we live in, our, in this kingdom of God. It changes our purity. It changes us from the inside out. He says, pray, pray to not be led into temptation, but to be delivered from evil. Deliverance was something that they knew nothing about until this moment. Deliverance was something they knew nothing about until Jesus came and established his kingdom. Romans talks about it over and over and over again, how we were once bound to sin. We had no other option. We had nothing else to do other than what was wrong for us or wrong for others. We had no other way to do it. We're bound to do the things that destroy us. But remember, remember that you don't have to be even tempted to live in that slavery any longer. You don't even have to be, you don't have to give in rather to that temptation. But you can be delivered because I came to establish a new way. I came to establish a new kingdom and I have conquered and I have broken every chain that even when temptation comes, there's a way out. Even when temptation comes, my power is stronger. My presence is more real than the temptation I'm facing. The deliverance came with the kingdom of God. And yet, some people just don't get it. In Matthew 7, sometime, some of you have probably heard this verse, but it says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, 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 Lord. I mean, we've done all these things. We've done all this trying on our own. We, we've done all of this stuff. But not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. We have an opportunity not just to <clears throat> experience the kingdom of heaven on earth. But one day, this earth will pass away. One day we will breathe our last. In his grace and his mercy, his unbelievable love for us, he allows us to experience some heaven on earth, but one day it will be perfected and we will live eternally with him. No more suffering, no more temptation, no more evil trying to take us out, no more enemy trying to steal from us. No more enemy trying to destroy us. And so as we live in this kingdom, we have to look at where, where is the source of my power coming from? Is it coming from others? Is it coming from my bank account? Where, where, am, I, where am I gaining my source and value in life? Am I experiencing the peace that comes through kingdom living and living in a different reality? Am I experiencing the kingdom in my power, peace, and purity? What are the results of my life? Hebrews says, therefore, since we are, <clears throat> since we share, sorry, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and in awe. We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The life that can't be shaken is the one that lives in the kingdom of God. 
Our lives cannot be shaken. No matter what comes our way, our foundation is sure. Our foundation is solid. And we live in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Colossians says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Remember the kingdom? It's the dominion or the authority of rule. Darkness no longer has dominion. Darkness no longer has free reign in my life. No darkness has me in bondage. No more because he has come and rescued us and we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. This morning, our servers are coming to the table and as we remember what Jesus did, the sacrifice that he made for us allows us to walk and live in the kingdom of God, allows us to live in a new reality that was meant for us all along. We can experience and live in the reality of God's will in our lives. We can truly find a new source for power and peace and purity in our life that is no longer trying to be served, served by external means, but rather straight to the heart, straight to the deepest places in my motivations, passions, desires, down deep, he can change us. And he came to do that when he brought his kingdom here and he gave his life to conquer the dominion of darkness in ours. We don't always do this, but we sometimes try to align the communion, the song that we sing at communion with the message. And so Josh found a song this week when I told him what I was going to be talking about. And the words are perfect. I want to read to you a few of those lyrics before we come to the table. It says, teach me how to listen. I want to know your voice. Show me how to wade through living in the natural and to rise above the noise. Teach me how your heart beats. Tether it to mine. The surgery is worth it. Get below the surface. Open up my eyes. I want to see heaven, so let your kingdom come. I want to see heaven, so let your kingdom come. If faith can wake the dead man and hope can split the sea, then help me to remember the kingdom of heaven is living in me. If death, it was no match for the resurrected king, then help me to remember that heaven is alive and it's living in me me. This morning, if you're in here and you have never given your life to Christ, if you've never said, I want to escape the reality of this world and I want to relive in the reality of this kingdom of heaven that you were talking about, Pastor Nate, you don't need a moment of prayer. Maybe maybe that's for you. You, you come down here and you just bow down. Maybe it's you. You sit in your seat and you just have a moment with God, but that moment with God can change your life forever. And you can have a moment with him where you say, I want to be in your kingdom. I want to live out your ways and your desires for mine. And so if you're in this room and you've never prayed that prayer, you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you've never said, I want to transfer from, from the reality and the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God, this is your moment. This is your time. And I want you to do that. For those of you in here that are, that are believers and you're Christ followers and you've been doing this, I would invite you as you receive the elements this morning, could we examine those parts of our lives? Where am I receiving the power? Am I receiving it straight from the source who gives me my daily bread and what I need? Where, where is my peace meter here? How is my, is my life full of peace? Am I living at peace with God and peace with others? 
And in my purity, am I actually living my faith out? Or am I constantly walking around defeated and in bondage to the sin that wants to take me out? Could we reflect? Could we contemplate? Can we come to the table asking God to examine our lives? God, we thank you that we can be a part of your kingdom, that you came here and you suffered and you died for us so that we could live in this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. This morning, will you join me at the table?